Hi, I'm Pastor Jay McPherson, and today on The Bible and Our Culture, we're going to talk about what is a current-day Pharisee. There's a lot about Pharisees in the New Testament, especially the Gospels. So if there's so much written about that, and we're looking to apply the Bible to the culture and to ourselves, we have to ask, what is the biblical concept of a Pharisee? Are you a Pharisee? Well, nobody wants to be a Pharisee. Boy, that's the nastiest title you could about give somebody. If, if you call somebody a devil, they might wink at you and smile, almost taking that as a compliment. But if you call somebody a Pharisee, that's going to that's gonna hurt. It's going to cut deep. So everybody is trying to convince themselves and convince others why they're not a Pharisee. And there's a lot of confirmational biases, I think, in trying to prove to everybody that we're not a Pharisee. A few things that I've heard over my years of Bible college, Christian school, growing up in the church, that are almost verbatim. I've actually had people tell me, well, I cuss, therefore I am not a Pharisee. Or I social drink, therefore I'm not a Pharisee. Now, the Bible commands not to get drunk. It doesn't command not to drink. So I'm not preaching on that. I'm simply saying that's probably not a legitimate excuse or a legitimate reason as to why you're exempt from being a Pharisee. Somebody said, I smoke cigars because I'm not a Pharisee. Or I watch a lot of rated R movies. Therefore, I'm certainly not a Pharisee. I actually had somebody explain that they were on the far end of not being a Pharisee because they didn't observe the Lord's Supper or water baptism. They saw those as too ritualistic for them, and since they didn't do it, therefore they're not a Pharisee. One that really ticked me off was somebody saying, well, I don't vote or even get involved in politics, so therefore I'm not a Pharisee. Are you kidding me? What about neglecting your civil responsibilities makes you not a Pharisee? I almost think the fact that you're too cocky to get involved might point out that maybe you are a Pharisee. And somebody said, well, I keep quiet about what is right or wrong. I don't want to judge, so I'm not a Pharisee. And I actually heard somebody say, well, I'm not a Pharisee because I believe the civil government has most of the answers to society's problems. I'm like, no, that doesn't help. I'm with Ronald Reagan Beware when the government says they're here to, and here to help. And that government is the problem. It's not merely not the solution to the problem. It is a problem. And so people that say, oh, the Department of Ecology, the Department of Education, all these government bureaucracies are answers. And I believe that, so I'm not a Pharisee. I say, nope, doesn't qualify. So we have to ask ourselves, what are the common denominators of a Pharisee in the Bible? Please don't ask, what do I feel a Pharisee is? That's where a lot of people go. They go to themselves, their own heart, and try and think, well, what do I think? Well, I'm asking you to forsake your thoughts for God's thoughts and turn to the Holy Scriptures. What are the common denominators of a Pharisee in the Bible? Please don't say, well, what have I been taught what a Pharisee is? I know what I've heard over the years, and it's pretty uniform, and I think there's some error to it. And please, please don't ask yourself, well, what belief about Pharisees will benefit me the most? 
That's where we get into lots of trouble. Because I think there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. We'll look at how the Pharisees were deceived, and Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful, above all else, desperately wicked, who can know it? So I think there's a little bit of Pharisee in all our hearts. But as we become more like Jesus, we end up growing out of Phariseeism, or sometimes called Pharisaicalism. And when we understand what Pharisaicalism really is, then we can better avoid it and move away from it. So here we go. I see four basic attitudes of the Pharisees that Jesus often confronted. Number one, you probably already know what it is if you've read the Bible, hypocrisy. Jesus was always calling the Pharisees hypocrites. Yeah, he called people names. Number two, externalism. Jesus often confronted them about being whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they're, they're all nice and neat, but inside they're rotting dead man's bones. They were focused on the outside and not on the inside. Another thing Jesus confronted them about, number three, is people-pleasing. They really wanted the praise of people. Well, Galatians 1.10 says, can you please men or God? If you, if you look to please men, you cannot be a servant of Christ. And the fourth common denominator of pharisaicalism in the Bible, I think, is self-deception. Jesus often confronted the Pharisees that they were deceiving themselves. They were blind, leading the blind. So with those four characteristics of a Pharisee, we want to think about how to apply this term today. So I want to make a suggestion. Pharisees are not a certain classification of people, but an attitude and a condition of the heart. For Samuel says, God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, and he sees individual hearts today. God is not focused on generalizations. He's not focused on preconceptions or prejudices or stereotypes. He looks at the individual soul. So we can't put the Pharisees as a tag on a certain type of people. Because if you're like me and you've been in the church a while, Christians are the main people that Jesus always try, that most people say Jesus is, is calling Pharisees. That only Christians can have Pharisaical attitudes. Well, if these four common denominators of Pharisaicalism, can they only be found in Christians? That is, can only Christians be self-deceived? Can only Christians be external? Can only Christians look to please people and not man or not God? And can only Christians be hypocrites? Well, I, I think no. Certainly there are a lot of Christians with Pharisaicalism, but not only Christians. A secular humanist can be a hypocrite. A secular humanist can be a people pleaser uh, and often are. That's almost the creed of secularism. They're self-deceived, and yes, they are external a lot of times. So anybody, a Muslim, a Mormon, anybody, any classification can be a Pharisee because it's a heart condition and a heart attitude. Now let's take a look at what Pharisees are not. I believe Pharisees are not simply people who love God's law more than you. Right? God's law is holy, just, and good. James called it the law of liberty. But there's a lot of people that think, well, God's law is, is Old Testament, and I don't want to be a Pharisee. 
Well, Jesus elevated God's law to all be about love. He said the first two commandments were love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commands hang all the law and the prophets. So every one of God's laws is ultimately about love. And if somebody loves God's law, I can't immediately say, well, that must mean they're a Pharisee. Maybe they see God's law as a way to know him. Now, if they're using God's law for self-promotion and they're trying to keep track of all your rights and wrongs and, and trying to make everybody see all the good works that they've done, well, yeah, they're a Pharisee. But loving God's law, I think, is important throughout both the Old and New Testaments. Check this out. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16 and verse 14, it says this. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things that Jesus had done and said. And they derided him, that is Jesus. And Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one title of the law to fail. So, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in this story for seeing God's law as a way to impress others. That is not the purpose of God's law. The purpose of God's law is to show how exceedingly sinful sin is. The purpose of God's law is to bring us to Christ, to show us that we need a Savior. And the Pharisees saw God's law as a way for self-promotion, a way to impress others. Jesus also rebuked the Pharisees for not valuing God's law and trying to excuse it away. A lot of people miss that. There were a lot of Pharisee tendencies to make loopholes in God's law. Most of you probably know what the Torah is. It's the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And some of you probably know about the Mishnah, which is the rabbinical commentaries on the Torah. And then there's the Gemara, which is the commentaries on the commentaries. And then there's the Talmud, which I think is the Mishnah and the Gemara together. And they have all these volumes and volumes of loopholes or commentaries on the Bible. I guess there's so many of them, nobody has ever read them all. But the point is, in Jesus's day, the Pharisees had looked at these commentaries to find excuses for God's rules and God's law. So in Matthew 23, which is the chapter where Jesus totally roasts the Pharisees, I mean, he just calls them all sorts of names and tears them up one way and down the other. In verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. And verse 17, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Did you catch that? My goodness, Pharisees were looking for loopholes. 
So if you said, well, I promise and I swear by the temple, well, you didn't really have to promise. You weren't bound by it. Oh, but if you swore by the gold of the temple, well, now you are obligated. Are you kidding me? How come they don't look into just being honest like God wanted them to? That's why he said, thou shalt not bear false witness, is he wanted honesty. But they're saying, well, if you swear by the temple, you don't have to keep it, and if you swear by the gold on the temple. If you swear by the altar on the temple, you don't have to keep it, but if you swear by the gift that's on the altar, then you, then you do. That's like what I did in elementary school. I lost my hostess cupcake because one of my classmates said that if I gave him one of my cupcakes, they would give me five bucks. So I gave him my cupcake and they ate it. I'm like, hey, where's my five bucks? Like, well, I had my fingers crossed, so I don't have to give you the five bucks. I should have beat him up right then and there, but I kept uh, going along with it. So then the next week, I'd make sure their fingers weren't crossed when they promised something. And then they say, oh, but my legs were crossed, so I don't have to, I'm not bound by what I told you. Even my eyes are crossed eventually, and my hair's crossed. Well, they weren't looking to be honest. They were just looking for loopholes to not have to let their word be their bond. And Jesus is confronting that. Pharisees look for loopholes. You're probably familiar with the the Sabbath, that you weren't supposed to walk so many cubits from your home on the Sabbath. Well, that got to be an inconvenience for selfish people, so they started to make commentaries. Well, what really is your home? How are we going to define that? So they said, well, it's your home, and anything from your home that's protruding to a neighbor's home, and all your neighbor's home and whatever protrudes from their home. So they take a clothesline and put it in their in all four directions to their neighbor's homes. So their neighbor's homes now counted as their homes when it came to keeping the Sabbath, how far you could walk from your home. And then all their neighbors would do the same. They'd put a clothesline or a rope to everybody else's uh, home around them so you could walk all over town and never technically leave your home. Well, that's ridiculous. They aren't at all paying attention to God's heart for the Sabbath. God wanted people to work hard six days, and they wanted to make sure they rested and focused on him, took it easy for a day. That's the whole purpose of the Sabbath, and it's still relevant today in principle, though we don't have to keep the external letter of the law that because Jesus explained that we didn't have to, but we still have to keep the principle. The point is, they were looking for loopholes, and they found it. A lot of people think the Pharisees only tightened down God's law, which they did. They added to God's law to make it more condemning, to make it harder on other people in order to glorify themselves. What a bunch of scumbags. They didn't really want God's law, but they wanted to be able to add and subtract it as they saw fit. They were basically lawless. In some ways, they were hyper-law, but they were so focused on the external details of the law that they would explain it away and basically do whatever they wanted anyway. So Pharisees are not people who love God's law more than me. That was point number one. Point number two, a Pharisee is not anyone who's more disciplined than me. There was a time in my life where I thought that if I was too disciplined, that made me a Pharisee. And I don't know why I thought this. It was very harmful, false doctrine. But I realized one day that I make my bed every day. And I thought to myself, oh, no, I do it every day, sometimes without thinking. I must be a Pharisee. I don't know why I thought that, but I must have been taught that somewhere in Christendom. So I thought to myself, well, one day a week, I am not going to make my bed. 
just so I can say I'm not a Pharisee. Probably made me more of a Pharisee to think that way. So one day, I'm not making my bed. I just left it and left the house with my bed unmade. And I thought, ah, it's much better. And then I made it the days after. And then the next week, I thought, I'm going to not make my bed this morning. Well, out of habit, I got to thinking about something else and just made my bed without even thinking about it. I hadn't had my coffee yet, I guess. And I thought, oh, no, I'm a Pharisee. I actually made my bed without thinking about it when I said I wasn't. I'm too disciplined. And so eventually, I broke the habit of making my bed. Bad idea. Now, I don't think you're more spiritual if you make your bed or not, but for me, it just seemed like, you know, I'm going to get up and accomplish something right away, and my bed's all nice and neat. I can sit on it. I can lay clothes on it. I can lay papers on it, and I don't have to worry about making it. Companies coming over or whatever. Just going to get in the habit of making my bed every day. And it was good because when you have a habit, then you, it's not, not a, any harm to you. It doesn't cost you anything. You just do it out of habit, and it's, it's not a burden. So that was a good habit. Well, once I broke it, thinking that if I don't make my bed, I'm less of a Pharisee, that was a hard habit to bring back. And eventually, I learned the habit of making my bed every day. But it was hard. What an idiot I was to think that being disciplined, making my bed, what constituted me being a Pharisee. So number three, a Pharisee is not somebody who is more responsible than me. Responsibility is a good thing. Every now and then, I'm late to things and I don't like to. I try to be on time for everything. Some people are more chronically late. But I feel like when I'm late, I'm hindering people. Uh, I'm taking away their time. They're waiting on me. And if I'm 10 minutes late, there went 10 minutes of their life and everybody that, that was supposed to meet with me. I messed up by being late. I'm not trying to condemn people if you have a propensity to be late. But what I'm saying is being responsible is not a sign that you're a Pharisee. Maybe being irresponsible is. Number four, a Pharisee is not somebody who knows the Bible better than me. A lot of people get uh, a sense of inferiority if they think somebody might know the Bible more than them. And they don't want to think, well, they are more spiritual than me, or they must love Jesus more than me. I don't know why they compare, but they do, and so they immediately start attacking. Well, if they know the Bible better than me, then they're probably a Pharisee. And there's people that think that. You know, as soon as somebody finds out somebody knows the Bible better than them, they're like, well, they're a Pharisee. It must, it, here's what they often say. It must be head knowledge, not heart knowledge. And I can appreciate that some people, out of arrogance, try to get a bunch of knowledge, and they don't really do it because they love the Lord. It's possible to have Bible knowledge and not love the Lord. But I think it's kind of impossible to really love the Lord and not gather more knowledge about who he is and what the Bible says about him and what the Bible says is his word to me over time. And the final thing of what a Pharisee is not, Pharisee is not somebody who's a Christian that's uncool and out of style, because <laughs> that would be me. Uh, there's something about wanting to be worldly that some Christians think is is enticing. Like, I want to I don't want to be a Pharisee. I want to be cool. I want to be liked by the world. I want to have the proper fashion, the proper hairstyles. And then I'm a cool Christian. That's really important to me. Well, it might be a good idea to be in style and to have fashion if it helps you represent Jesus. If it gives you influence over people, they're more apt to listen to you if you're in, dressed in a way that they'll understand. But it's not the most important thing. It is an external, right? And the Pharisees, they were focused on the external. So 
Beware of what a Pharisee is not. Mark chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Now it happened as he, that's Jesus, was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amazing insight by Jesus. First of all, he said he didn't come to call the righteous. Well, who is righteous? Romans tells us no one is righteous but Jesus. So clearly he didn't see the Pharisees as truly righteous, but the Pharisees saw themselves as righteous. In their own minds, the Pharisees were not sinners, but righteous because of all the laws and rules they kept. What do you call that? We call that self-righteous. The Pharisees were self-righteous. They didn't look for help from Jesus because they thought they had it all together. You know, I believe Jesus can't really help anyone with a pharisaical attitude. I'm not speaking to Jesus' ability to help people, but God has given us free will. God has let us make our own choices. And if we are arrogant, if we are conceited, he resists us. Both the book of James and 1 Peter says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you're proud and self-righteous like these Pharisees were, then God resists that. Oh, but if you're humble and you see yourselves in need of Jesus, he can't hardly resist that. That's what turns him on. He draws near to the people who are humble. Would you go to the doctor if you didn't realize you were sick? Probably not, unless you had to do a, a physical for a new employment or, or a sports program or something. Otherwise, we don't go to the doctor unless we think we're sick or injured. Well, it's the same thing with Jesus. If we see ourselves as sick and injured, we'll be more apt to go to him. And I don't know about you, but boy, I got to go to him every day, multiple times a day, because I'm, I'm needy. Jesus dwelt with the humble and contrite because the Father dwells with the humble and contrite. Isaiah 57, verse 15, says this, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. They're talking about God, if you weren't catching on to that. What does he say? He says, I dwell in a high and holy place and with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. So according to this verse, there's two places that God dwells. He dwells in this high and holy place and he dwells with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Why God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He draws near to the humble. It never mentions in that passage we just read that being a sinner is cool and Jesus liked it. Jesus doesn't think being a sinner is something that turns him on. What drew Jesus to the sinners was that they understood they were sinners. They saw themselves as in need of a Messiah. So he was drawn to them. The honesty to admit they were sinners and needed a Savior 
is what drew them to Jesus and Jesus to them. That was true back in Bible days, and that's true now. Broken, humble people will be drawn to Jesus if they can just see him. If we can just lift Jesus up, if they can see him, they'll be drawn to him when they're humble and broken. But people who are proud and arrogant and self-reliant, they're going to resist Jesus because they don't want anybody king besides themselves. In Mark 8, verse 15, it says, Then he, that's Jesus, charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Why was he clumping the Pharisees and Herod together? I used to think those were the opposite extremes, Herod representing the world and the Pharisees representing corruption in the church. But more I think about it, the more I see common denominators between the Pharisees and Herod. Both of them were called names by Jesus, and well-deserved. But really, both of them really wanted power. I mean, they were the people that were drawn to government bureaucracies. They wanted power for themselves and for their party. And both cared a lot about what people thought of them, always worried about their reputation. And fourth and finally, I think most important, both were oppressors. Pharisees oppressed people. Herod oppressed people. And Jesus, who loves people, he confronted those oppressors. That's what he does. And you know what? That's what we should do as a church representing him today. We should confront oppressors. The Pharisees oppressed. Jesus cared about the people they were oppressing. That's why he rebuked them. You notice all the tongue lashing that Jesus gave the Pharisees. We don't see any of them stopping and saying, oh, you're right, I repent. They still resisted. They even killed them. So he didn't rebuke them in order to win them over. He rebuked them with uh, such a harsh tone because he was coming to the defense of all those that they were oppressing. So what are the common denominators of a Pharisee? Number one, hypocrisy. Number two, externalism. Number three, people-pleasing. And number four, self-deception. Are there Christians who might exhibit these four? Yeah, I think so. All of us maybe a little bit. But are there other categories of people outside of Christianity who might have these four problems, being hypocritical, being external, being people-pleasing, and self-deception? Oh, I think there's a lot of other categories of people everywhere in the world that also are pharisaical. Though anybody might display the attitudes of a Pharisee at some point, there are beliefs or teachings that are by themselves Pharisaical. Obviously, Phariseeism is a big deal to Jesus. Next time, we're going to look into some of these other areas of how we see Pharisaical tendencies in the secular humanist, in the left, in the media, in the entertainment industry, in politics, and so on. Hope to catch you next time on the Bible and our culture. Thanks. 